Okay, um, at the end of 1 Samuel 23, David had narrowly escaped Saul and his men with his life. You could say he escaped by the skin of his teeth. Advised that the Philistines had raided the homeland, Saul called off to pursuit to fight them. He was distracted, so he moved on. When Saul left abruptly to fight the Philistines, David took the opportunity to find more, a more secure location to hide. Then, without a hint as to how Saul fared in his latest Philistine scuffle, the king headed back to the wilderness to resume chasing David. He had a passion for wanting to kill David. Okay, that's some background. Now let's look at the first question that we have before us today. What is that question? What are we being told about respecting authority? What have you been taught in growing up? What have you been taught about respecting authority? We are a different generation. What? you look There's a different boy here all again. You can even open your mouth and your parents talking, but now this kid's a children take over. So over the years we've been taught yes. to respect those in authority, right? Yes. Mind your P's and Q's. Mm. Uh, be seen and not heard. In those days, our parents can look at me no shit. Now these days you look at your eyes and it over. Or drop out. <laughs> you remember when the big people were talking to him? The kids were having a run. But the women walked to the front. <laughs> yeah, when they were guessing, now she could walk to the front. You had to go around. <laughs> okay. All right, let's look at Bible Meets Life. Oh, uh, yeah. Bible Meets Life on page 30. People don't always agree in our society, and that's okay. In marriage, couple may disagree over which color to paint the living room, but they still love each other. People disagree all the time over sports, politics, entertainment, and more, yet they can still enjoy each other's company. In short, disagreement isn't the problem today, but disrespect is a problem. A big problem, in fact. According to the recent survey, 79% of people in our culture view lack of respect as a serious issue in our society. The Bible affirms that every human is created in the image of God. See Genesis 1, 26. Okay, let's look at those two verses, those uh, few verses in Genesis. Do you want them read? Yeah. Okay, I have them. Okay, go ahead. Um, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 say, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay. So we see God set in order authority. Okay, read on. Therefore, we should treat everyone we encounter as a person of worth. Still, if we are honest, it's hard to show that type of respect to those who only look out for themselves and fail to treat others with respect. That was the challenge David faced in First Samuel, with King Saul kept trying to kill him. When King Saul kept trying to kill him. In David's example, we'll see that we can respect those in authority without endorsing all they do. Okay. And what's the point? Okay, respect who? The authorities. Who placed them in your life? God. God. But they didn't put themselves there. They may have been elected to office, they may have been appointed, but God is the one who chooses those who are in authority. He's the one who allows them to be there. All right? Some people will say, you know, well, I didn't vote for him, so I don't have to respect him. No, 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 no. God allowed him to be there, so you respect those in authority. All right? Regardless of who they are or how they got there. Um, one day, one day this week, I heard, uh, uh, I was listening to a program, and the prophecy said, the person said, the prophecy said, Trump is going to be there for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> and Trump is going to be the one to bring the spiritual life together again. <laughs> That's yet to be seen. <laughs> well, I say, I say, it's like eight years, they said. Well, Trump also believes he's going to be there for eight years. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's look at the first paragraph we have. <laughs> when Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to him, Look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemies over to you, so you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, I swear before the Lord, I will never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hands against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. With these words, David persuaded his men, and he did not let them rise up against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. Okay, now notice the first two uh, paragraphs beneath that. I often speak to parents of teenagers. When I ask why they teach their children to respect authority, I hear a variety of responses. To keep order in the house. To teach them how to respect others. To, to help them live as respectable citizens. Sadly, I rarely hear what I consider to be the most important reason. We teach our children to respect authority so they will learn to honor 
God. After all, how can we help younger generations learn to respect the one who they cannot see if they don't learn to respect those who God has put in front of them? Tremendous food for thought, isn't it? Okay, so we have people asking, uh, telling their parents, their children to respect a whole lot of individuals, but not to respect God, no mention of God at all. Okay, let's have someone read the rest of those paragraphs. In 1 Samuel 24, David and his men were in a wilderness area near Engedi. Engedi. Engedi, close to the Dead Sea. When King Saul got word of David's location, he gathered his army to give chase. David hid from him in a cave. When Saul needed a bathroom break, he chose to enter the very cave where David was hiding. David's men saw this as an opportunity given from the Lord to end Saul's persecution. They urged David to seize his chance and rid himself of his pursuer. Next page. David crept up close to Saul with his knife. He reached out and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. You may think that's it, but this act was far from harmless. Saul's robe represented his position as king. Therefore, by making the kingly robe unacceptable to wear, David had symb symbolically in invalidated Saul's robe as king. Even though his act was symbolic, David immediately repented of his action. His conscience bordered him, and he directed his men to spare Saul's life. He could not have anyone God had placed in a position of authority. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> Notice what we see there. Uh, what did his men think about the opportunity? Get rid of him. They thought it was God's. God's way. Exactly. <laughs> How many times people do that? Yes. They see an opportunity and say, oh yes, God's given me this opportunity to do this. God didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. The adversary is very good at making things appear like they're... Oh yeah, that's his job. That's his job. That's his job. He, he, uh, he is a deceiver. And then sometimes we can't wait either, so we, we think, oh yeah, that must, this must be yeah, the time that I'm going to do it. That's right. Uh, what, what happened was, um, um, David saw what he had done, and uh, he realized that he acted without grace toward one in authority uh, by invalidating his position of authority or symbolism of authority. Verse 3, when we look at verse 3, uh, working on an informant's tip, because that's what it was, Saul and 3,000 men scoured the precarious crags and caves known as the rocks of the wild goats to track David down. He was determined to kill David, and he had 3,000 men on the search. Okay, that's how serious he was. Okay, the area included 
steep mountains intersected by creeks running down into ravines to the Dead Sea. So it was a, it was a rough area, okay? Um, Even today, goats live there. Yeah, they still do. The goats? Yeah, goats still live in that area. Okay, David, uh, feeling the urge of nature, as we all have at times, Saul searched out a place where he could relieve himself privately to get away from those 3,000 men and uh, to use the bathroom. As Saul entered the cave, nobody, not even his personal bodyguard, by himself, would have accompanied him, making him quite vulnerable, okay? I I, <laughs> I can't believe this. I was at a service station one time, and this guy who calls himself a prophet, I saw all the commotion and stuff. These guys run, these, this car pulled in, and they jumped out of the car, and these guys jumped out, and they ran, and they pulled open the door, and, and this guy came out to use the bathroom. I said, I can't believe this. They're treating this guy like he's a king. <laughs> it was so funny. So Saul and his, and his bodyguards, but they didn't accompany him. He went by himself. And then uh, verse 4, David's men whispered to him, look, this is the day the Lord told us about. <laughs> Think God said anything to them about that? <clears throat> They assured him Saul's presence in the cave fulfilled God's promise to deliver Saul into David's hands. Now it was a conversation. Okay? They convinced they were convinced that this was an opportunity that God had provided. You know, Saul was chasing David all this time. They knew that David was supposed to be king and said, here is the opportunity. We know that God would provide it sooner or later. Now here it is. So they sort of convince David that this was the opportunity. They pushed David to seize this opportunity and assassinate Saul, because that's what it would have been, an assassination. Uh, God, to them, God obviously caused Saul to choose this place to relieve himself. In other words, they were thinking, you know, God allowed him to get in this position so that we could get him, because his bodyguards would not be there, none of the soldiers would be there. So just God just opened up an opportunity for us to get rid of him. So let's take it. <laughs> but you see the difference between a saint and a sinner. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and, and this is the, right there, that's a chance where you say, God, I thank you, I'm saved. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how people can use opportunities and, and, and say, God led me to do this, mm -hmm. when God had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so we have a biblical case right here of that happening, and many people do that today. Many people do that today, and many people are deceived by that being done to them and to others today. Question number two on page 31. How do you typically respond to authority figures in your life? What's your <coughs> typical response to those in authority? Well, for me, I try to respect them. Try to respect them. Yes. Do you allow those in authority who abuse the authority to affect how you respond to others in authority? I didn't even go there. Some I people down, do. Some people do. Um, this this um, lady was stopped uh, by the police for driving with one light, one headlight on a car. And when the police came to give her a ticket, this was during the Pendling administration. And she said to the police, the Prime Minister was leading this country for 25 years with one eye, 
And you trying to stop me for driving with one light? Of course, we know Prendon had one, one eye, right? You know he had one bad eye. But that's how people think. That's how people think. Poor judgment, eh? Yeah. Police should have doubled the ticket. <laughs> so how do we typically respond to those in authority? As we should, as God wants us to? Or do we think we have a right to do something else? With humility, too, first. With humility, okay. Only when it goes against what God's word has directly said would you stand. Right. Yes. Right. When you, whenever you get a ticket, do you say thank you? Mm-hmm. Why not? <laughs> do you, do you think you deserve it? Have a good day. Have a good day. <laughs> Don't you, wouldn't you thank the police officer for doing his job? If you know you had wrong? Yeah. I mean, you'd want, him, you'd want him to stop somebody else who broke the law, right? Yeah. So why don't you thank him for doing his job? Yeah. If he gave you a ticket. <laughs> no, we don't think about it like that. But that's what it means, it's respect authority. You, you, no, you, you build up a grudge. Why did he stop me? He didn't have to stop me. I didn't, he could have let me, let me get away. He could have let me slide. No. You thank him because he's doing his job. Yeah. Don't we wish that the police officers would do their job when we see someone else breaking the law? Yeah, yeah so why, why, why do we want to get away scot-free? <laughs> okay, so that, that falls into the category of how we respond. Our typical response to those in authority. Thank them and tell them that you'll, you'll do thank you. next time. You're doing a good job. And then you go and pay the ticket. Don't thank them or get grudgeful against them and then drive away say, Wonder who I know I could get them to take this, get this rid of this ticket. People do that, you know. They do that. Give honor where honor is due. What did Jesus say when they asked him to pay the taxes? What did he do? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's right. You know, we want the government to do what they know it's supposed to be doing, but we don't want to pay the taxes for them to be able to do it. Okay, so as we continue to verses 8 to 11, we'll see David's words showed respect to Saul as a person in authority. So let's look at those verses. That's uh, 1 Samuel uh, 24, 8 to 11. After that, David got up, went out of the cave, and called to Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of people who say, Look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord, since he is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Recognize that I have committed no crime or rebellion. I haven't sinned against you, even though you are hunting me down to take my life. Okay, look at the, the third question there. What do you like best about David's approach in these verses? Look at the voice again. What do you like best about David's approach in these verses? Mm-hmm. He's still happy and he honored him. Look, my father. He said, look, my father. I went to call him your father. 
You should so, okay. He respected him and his authority. Okay. He began right away with acknowledging his authority. Mm -hmm. He referred to him as my lord the king. Yes. Okay. He didn't say, You rascal, you trying to kill me? No, my lord the king. And he talked to him in a, in a um, posture of humility. Right, yeah. and respect. Down. Mm -hmm. I how he kneeled and everything too. Right, he, he, he kneeled down, his face to the ground, he paid homage. Okay. What else? Anything else we see there? He gave him evidence of what he had just done to show him that he did not mean him harm. Right. And he could have killed him if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. He said he could, yes. So he, he, he called out to him and he held up the piece that he cut off and said, See? See? I, I, I've cut this off your own. I, I could have killed you if I wanted to. Right? So, okay, he wanted to know that he would not do anything that would, the Lord would regard as sin against him. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath the verses there. Page 32 and page 33. This passage highlights six ways David showed respect to Saul in spite of the king's persecution. One, David confronted Saul, but he spoke with honor and respect. David acknowledged Saul's position and status over him when he called to Saul, my lord the king. Mm -hmm. Two, David bowed as a sign of respect to the king. Three, David urged the king not to listen to the advisors who wrongly accused David of seeking Saul's life. In the same way, David refused to listen to his own men who encouraged him to kill Saul. Four, David offered evidence to show his respect for the king. This evidence, the corner of Saul's robe, proved David had no desire to commit treason or harm the king. Five, David called Saul, my father. Six, David showed how seriously he took his treatment of the king as a mark of his relationship with God. Although the king sought David's life, David would never sin against him. We see something similar in the life of Paul. The apostle lived under the harsh leadership and ministered during periods of intense persecution. He was even martyred during the reign of Roman Emperor Nero. But in Paul's writings, he did not speak against these authority figures, nor did he encourage believers to do so. Instead, Paul urged his readers to pray for those in authority. See 1 Timothy 2. Let's look at that verse. 1 Timothy, 1, 1 Timothy 2, 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Okay. So respect those in authority and pray for them. Go ahead. Like David and Paul, we also are liable to encounter authority figures with shortcomings and maybe even evil, evil intentions. In these moments, we'll do well to remember that we're also sinners. Our entire lives are built on God's grace, and we should exhibit that same grace in our responses to those over us. We should respect the authority figures in our lives because we believe that God has placed them in our lives. It's that simple. 
Okay. Is that so complicated? Nope. Okay. Couple of points uh, need to mention there. Um, like David and Paul, we are also liable to account encounter authority figures with shortcomings. Anybody ever encountered an authority figure who didn't have a shortcoming? No, in our in our day and time. You know of any? They all have shortcomings, right? So like David and, and Paul, we are we are also liable to encounter authority figures with shortcomings and maybe even evil intentions. In those moments, we'll do well to remember that we are also sinners. Is that where it says, judge not and you be not judged? Our entire lives are built on God's grace and we should exhibit that same grace in our response to those over us. We should respect the authority figures in our lives because we believe that God has placed them in our lives. It's that simple. Now, when we don't respect them, what are we saying? When we don't respect authority figures, what are we saying as far as God is concerned? We are disrespecting God. We're disrespecting God. We're saying that actually, I don't care if God put you where you are. It doesn't bother to me. That's basically what we're saying when we don't respect those in authority. It doesn't matter what God do. It doesn't matter how God put you there. I don't, that don't mean nothing to me is what we're saying when we don't respect those in authority. Question number four. What are some ways we can imitate David's actions and attitudes in our own dealings with authority? Well, we mentioned one already. When you get a ticket, say thank you, right? Yes. That's one, right? What other ways we can show uh, David's attitude and actions? Obey the laws of the road and, you know, at stoplights, stop. Mm -hmm. When it turns yellow, stop and don't go through. <laughs> you know, it's just simple things. Mm -hmm. Just obey so, what we know is right and what we've been instructed to do. That's part of showing respect. And that's interesting because, especially traffic lights, um, a little boy was asked what the traffic light colors meant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, Red means stop, green means go, and yellow means go faster. Because obviously that's what he saw. He saw somebody did that, right? <laughs> now what kind, of, what kind of lesson do you think that's teaching? Okay? Right. So it's hard to show them. So he'll grow up disrespecting authority if they stop him from running the yellow light. Because he would have grown up believing that the yellow means go faster. Because <laughs> that's what dad did or that's what mom did. Right, that's what they'll say. <laughs> Alright. So we need to be careful how how we respond to those in authority and how try to have that same attitude and actions that David demonstrated. Okay, let's look at the last portion. Uh, just one verse there, uh, verse 12 of 24. 
May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me, but my hand will never be against you. Okay, let's read the, the portions below as well. Let's face it, it's hard to leave our conflicts in God's hands. We'd all like to have at least a little control over what happens to those who do us wrong, especially those in authority. That being the case, we can learn a lot from David's example in verse 12. First, leave judgment in God's hands. May the Lord judge between me and you. Why is that we can trust God with our eternity, but we can't seem to trust him with our daily relationships? Mm. Secondly, leave your reputation in God's hands. When David said, may the Lord take vengeance on you for me, he was yielding his reputation to God. The don't get mad, get even mentality is common in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yet, when we consider the cost of Christ's death to give us redemption and forgiveness, our perspective should be increasingly God-focused. When that happens, we become less concerned about our reputations and more focused on Christ. And thirdly, leave vengeance in God's hands. Even as David expressed the desire for God to take vengeance, he determined he would not seek vengeance himself. My hand will never be against you. God alone has the authority to exact such vengeance. We can confront those who wrong us in order to seek justice, and we can work through the governing authorities God has given us to see that justice is done. Romans 13, verses 1 through 4. Let's look at those verses. Romans 13, 1 to 4. <coughs> yeah, go ahead. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the word, the sword, in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Okay. okay. Read on. But vengeance is a wholly different matter that only God has the right to demand. The life of faith we live as followers of Christ calls us to die to seeking vengeance for ourselves. Instead, we're called to trust God as the just one and we're called to extend his grace to others, including those mm. in authority. Okay, so we have uh, three points there that we can take note of. Leave judgment in God's hands, leave, leave your reputation in God's hands, and leave vengeance in God's hands. Okay, and we have a tendency to take matters into our own hands. We have the tit-for-tat mentality, don't we? Mm -hmm. Tit-for-tat, butter-for-fat, you kill my dog, I kill your cat. Yeah. Right? We don't have that when we respecting those in authority. Right? We leave it to God. He's going to take care of it. Okay, I encourage you to do that um, respect activity on your own time. 
let's look at uh, live it out. Question five. Oh, question just, number five. We just covered. <laughs> yeah, we just covered basically. <laughs> Why is it hard to leave vengeance in God's hands? Because we think we can do a better job, right? Yeah. And, and we want the satisfaction of one that done now. We teach him a lesson. You know, God is not going to punish him the way I would yeah. like him to be punished. So I, I think I'm going to do this one myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I often wonder, and we would wonder, how come, in spite of what Jesus went to, true, he never said nothing. Until yeah. I was reading the message from someone, it said, he could have done this because he had confidence in his father's love and justice, his moral government and justice. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, I see the answer. He can do it right now. He had confidence mm -hmm. that God would take care of him. That's the kind of confidence we need to have. He knew God would yeah. take care of in other words, he knew what God was doing. Yes. So he had no reason to, no reason to complain no. or give any suggestions. In any situation. Right. Okay, live it out. How would you honor Christ this week by respecting the authority figures in your life? Consider the following suggestions. Encourage. We live in a day when authority is questioned more than honored. Be intentional about expressing support and encouragement to an authority figure in your life. Pray. Follow the principle in 1 Timothy 2.1 and pray regularly for those in authority. Make this a part of your regular prayer life each day. And three, repent. If there's someone in authority to whom you have failed to show proper honor or respect, confess that to God. Change your attitude and as appropriate, apologize to that person for your former lack of respect. Some people are not big enough to do that, but that's required. Okay, so we encourage, we pray, and we repent. We need, we need disagreements in our world today. We need different perspectives and a robust exchange of ideas. But we don't need disrespect. Instead, choose to honor the authority figures God has placed in your life. They didn't get there accidentally. They didn't get there by their own doing. God has placed them there, and we need to honor God in what he has done in placing those in authority and honor those in authority. Amen?